This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. you want to skip the big box stores and shop somewhere that's 100% carbon neutral, ethically sourced, and fairly priced, Thrive Market has your back. That's right. Thrive Market's goal is to make healthy and sustainable products accessible and affordable for all. While they have plenty of different grocery items to choose from, you'll also find beauty products, home goods, and more. Something we really love about Thrive Market is how easy it is to shop. Everything is personalized to you, and you can filter through the thousands of products by more than 70 dietary and lifestyle values. For instance, I can easily fill my cart with items that are vegan, from certified B Corps, biodegradable, BIPOC owned, and ethically sourced, all by checking off a few boxes. Thrive Market also has a one-for-one membership matching program, which I love. That means when when you pay for a membership, a free one will go to a low-income family, student, teacher, veteran, or first responder. Are you ready to shop? Go to thrivemarket.com slash goodtogether to get 25% off your first order and a free gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash goodtogether. Building an eco-friendly closet is getting easier and easier these days. Aside from shopping secondhand, there are also so many sustainable fashion brands to support. Today's guest is Saskia van Gent, the head of sustainability at Rothy's, a brand that hand-makes all its products from recycled materials. During the episode, we discuss balancing sustainability goals and growth as a brand, what circular production is and how it betters the planet, and the importance of reducing your carbon footprint at both an individual and institutional level. Today, I'm talking to Saskia van Gent, head of sustainability at Rothy's, a brand at the forefront of sustainable fashion that I know many of you listeners love and know. For those of you who don't know Rothy's, uh, they are a lifestyle and fashion brand best known for creating stylish, comfortable shoes and now masks, which I love, from recycled plastic water bottles. Saskia is an environmental scientist by trade and prior to joining Rothy's has worked as senior director of sustainability at Method Home, a brand you probably also know. Saskia has actually started her career at the Environmental Protection Agency, focusing on uh, pioneering approaches to waste reduction. So we have a ton to talk about today with Saskia. So get ready for an inspiring conversation about ethical fashion, circularity, and how large brands approach sustainability in general. So Saskia, I would love for you to introduce yourself uh, to our audience and tell us a bit how your career started and involved and how you got to Rotis. 
Thanks so much for having me, Lisa, and for the kind introduction. It's an honor to be here, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. So I've been working now in sustainability for about 15 years and had the privilege of starting at the Environmental Protection Agency. And I think like a lot of people in sustainability and people who are interested in the environment, I became interested at a young age. I was someone who was always outside, playing outside, climbing trees, uh, trying to be in nature as much as I could. And then as I started learning more in high school and in university as well about environmental issues, it became so much more reinforced. It was in the 90s and hearing the emergence of climate change, which I think at the time we called global warming and uh, the prevalence of all of the greenhouse gases, but then also solutions on top of that, the emergence of renewable energy and solutions to address environmental problems. So it was um, something that I've been interested in for a long time. And when I started my career at the Environmental Protection Agency, had the privilege of learning on the job, really, about all these different issues that I had studied from an academic standpoint, how to put them in practice, everything from green building, waste minimization. I worked on food waste and uh, ocean plastic and truly collaborative approach to bring some of these environmental solutions to life. After about seven years at the EPA, I was interested in, in a way, becoming a little bit more specialized and taking some of the academic work that I had done and the science of sustainability and applying it to a product, which is such a beautiful manifestation and articulation of sustainability and went to Method Products, which you mentioned uh, is a San Francisco-based company that makes all kind of cleaning products and personal care products that are biodegradable and recycling pack recycled packaging, uh, owns its own manufacturing facilities. And that was such a cool window into what it meant to apply the chemistry of sustainability, the science of how to quantify carbon footprint, how to operate a, a factory in a sustainable way, and very much set me up for uh, being interested in Rothy's, being interested in applying sustainability to the apparel and footwear sector. I often think about the evolution of sustainability happening in waves where maybe back in the 80s, we started becoming more conscious about the uh, importance of organic food and, and what we ate and uh, the food that we're eating in the connection to the environment and how food was grown. And then the next wave kind of thinking about cleaning products and what we put on our floors around our pets and our kids. And I really feel that now is the time to be focused more in fashion and fashion's carbon footprint, its waste footprint. And I'm excited to be at Rothy's to be a part of developing that next wave of solutions. Yeah, it's very interesting uh, to see your career path. And actually, a lot of our listeners, I know they, um, they're in universities, some are even in high schools, and a lot of them are aspiring for uh, to have careers like yours, actually. So I was wondering uh, if you have any kind of general advice or tidbits uh, for someone who, you know, maybe is unsure what uh, they want to do exactly, but they are, I know, again, a lot of our community members do want to do um, what's best for the planet. Uh, uh, whether as a, as a consumer, as a person, or uh, through their careers as well. So if you can have any tiny bits of advice um, for them, I would love to hear it. 
Yeah, well, first, I think it's a great time to be considering a career in sustainability. There's very much uh, importance at all different levels for sustainability, not just working for brands that are interested in sustainability, but very interesting nonprofits. There's local government work that uh, truly inspires me. So I, I, I really think it is. And of course, I have my own bias, but I'm excited to hear there's lots of people that are interested in pursuing a career in sustainability. But it's going to become so much more important for us to have all different types of talents and minds thinking about solutions from, from all different levels. And I don't think it's one of those careers that's going to become obsolete in any time uh, soon. I think it's going to become even more important. The couple of recommendations I have, and I am very lucky that I get to talk with young people, and uh, I had so many people that helped me, so I always want to pass along as much good advice as I possibly can. The first thing is to not shy away from taking some of the science of sustainability, whether it be courses around chemistry, toxicity, um, biology, those will really serve you as you start to become a professional in this field. I think partly it's important, even if you don't become a specialist, let's say a toxicology specialist, it's important to be able to provide that translation between some of the um, chemistry that might be needed for making a decision around a preferred material to the marketing team or to your CEO to make that recommendation around what you should be doing. So the backbone of science will, will serve you in, in your career in sustainability in so many different levels. I think the other thing for me was that maybe it looks that I had a very linear path, but it was also a process of elimination for me where I would sit within the landscape of sustainability. I worked for smaller nonprofits for a while either through kind of internship programs or um, in summers in between years of college. And I had great experiences in all of these different organizations that I worked with, but it also started to channel me into what am I most passionate about within this landscape of sustainability that's so broad? And where is that passion meeting the need of that organization? And luckily I found the intersection within product companies but um, I think that having that and allowing yourself to have that kind of process of elimination will help you kind of ultimately find where you're, where you're best suited. That's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, give a try to different things. Again, sustainability is such a, such a big term that uh, means so many different things. Uh, so you definitely have to try uh, different things to learn what's really important. Maybe it's nonprofit work, right? But maybe it's working with brands and maybe it's marketing. Um, and um, yeah, the advice about science courses, that's, that's very, very true because, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of brands talk about sustainability, but who really knows the science behind it? Um, I definitely won't pretend that I understand the science behind, you know, product um, uh, product ingredients and stuff like that. But um, we need people like you uh, to tell us <laughs> about these things. Um, yeah, so let's start with uh, Environmental Protection Agency. If you can briefly describe what you were doing there and kind of what is their role in this overall sustainability kind of approach in the U.S.? Like, what, what is their core role? Yeah, the Environmental Protection Agency was created really in the 70s. And it came about because at the time, I think rivers were literally on catching on fire because there were so many chemicals that were 
entering our waterways. And there was not a organization, governmental organization that was providing oversight into what kind of practices needed to be in place to ensure that our environment was protected and um, that people who live in the environment are protected. So it's a very broad organization with mm-hmm. both regulatory, non-regulatory components. I was working under a non-regulatory part of the EPA that looks at more innovative future thinking, pollution prevention type initiatives, rather than trying to go back and fix problems that had already occurred. And that's a really exciting part of the EPA to be a part of because you're able to think about the solutions that should be applied uh, to tomorrow. But then there's also this huge uh, strain of collaboration that is a part of making these future solutions possible. So partnering with local governments, partnering with nonprofits that are at the forefront of these solutions. And my work was all focused on waste minimization But that could be waste minimization from the construction sector and looking at our built environment and how we can minimize waste coming out of buildings by designing them so that they can be deconstructed and you can actually reuse or recycle the building components versus just landfilling materials coming from buildings. We looked a lot at food waste because it was a growing and still is a a big part of our consumer waste stream and how you can develop commercial composting systems, anaerobic digestion to process food waste um, rather than, again, landfilling it and turning it into methane. And then towards the end was focused quite a bit on packaging and marine debris and ocean plastic and have a a huge passion for how we can design consumer packaging so that it's more easily recyclable. Increasingly, we're seeing a lot more reusable packaging, and that feeds into the mitigation of ocean plastic and avoiding some of these single-use plastics from entering the ocean. At the time, that was very much an emerging conversation, the awareness about the amount of plastic that was entering our ocean and now it's it's quite inspiring, at least to see the consciousness and the awareness around that issue and also solutions that are in place. And, you know, Rothy's being part of that, um, using some ocean plastic for our accessories and bag line, but also some actions at the local government level. So really interesting work at the EPA and continue to be a huge champion for that um, that organization from the sidelines. That's very interesting. Now, like I see a very clear line of like your work um, in EPA and how it kind of connects to your work at Rothis, right? Uh, Rothis started like back, you know, how many years ago? I don't remember exactly, but yeah, those shoes made from uh, recycled water bottles, right? Uh, so let's talk about that. Uh, uh, now I know why Rothis is such a perfect fit for you. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's quite lucky to to be able to work for a brand that is putting in practice some of the intentions from yeah, from the Environmental Protection Agency and Rothy's is unique and in the sense that from day 1 there have been a lot of very conscious decisions around how to design products, uh, manufacturing and really a holistic business with sustainability in mind. And uh, I think at the onset of the business, one of the points of inspiration was noticing the staggering amount of waste and overproduction in the footwear industry. And the co-founders, Roth and Steven, really recognized that there was something broken about how shoes were being designed 
Uh, Rothy's has its own factory, which is quite unique, especially for a company um, in our life cycle. Um, we're not a super old and established or large company, which is more common for owning your own factory. But that allows us a lot more control and flexibility at the same time around how we produce our products. We use a 3D knitting process, which mitigates waste in the construction process, because instead of taking a piece of fabric, for example, and cutting the shapes of the shoe and stitching them together, you can program the 3D knitting machine to produce that specific shape and then put it together. So there's a huge amount just from owning our own factory and being able to control production there. Um, you mentioned the use of recycled water bottles. We're really proud that we're almost um, 100 million plastic water bottles diverted into the footwear and accessories. So it's a, a really impressive milestone and just points to, on one hand, you know, why are we producing so many single-use um, plastic water bottles? But on the other hand, how can we take what's out there, the plastic that we already have on the planet, and repurpose it into a really durable and, and functional product? Um, since I mentioned durability, I, I do want to say that I think it's important as a product company to make a durable product, to make a product that mm -hmm. is designed to last and all the Rothy shoes and bags are washable, which is a key enabler. It. Yeah, it's it's incredible because you drop something on your shoe or the other day I was out and ended up accidentally like stepping in a mud puddle and I don't mm -hmm. feel anxiety about it. I just like pop the shoes in the wash and it's nice to know that you're not you know, shortening the lifespan because you can, yeah, it makes it a lot more um, to design for longevity. Yes, that's super, super important. This kind of leads me to this other question that I was thinking about earlier today. Um, um, it's something I think all of the product brands, right, especially sustainable product brands, have to think about. And the issue is, how do you balance the need to, you know, you are selling a product, right? You uh for a company to be successful financially, you have to sell as much product as you can. And so how do you balance this with uh, being sustainable, being you know kinder to the planet, reducing your carbon in an environmental footprint? Um, I'm curious how Rothis approaches this because it's definitely um, something that I have uh, I've dealt with at my previous company, which was a fair trade subscription box company. Mm. So we had to think about subscription boxes and fair trade, right? Again, producing and selling tons of product, but also being ethical. But I'm curious how Rothis approaches this. This episode is brought to you by Real Paper, tree-free toilet paper made from 100% bamboo. Our community has been asking us about paper-free swaps for items around the house. So this alternative to traditional toilet paper is right up our alley. I don't know about you, Laura, but I always run out of toilet paper. Me too. And I love that Real Paper delivers direct to your home while also using plastic-free packaging. It makes stuff so much easier. Also, while you probably haven't considered the environmental impact of your bathroom habits, unfortunately, over 27,000 trees are flushed down the toilet every day across the world. That's a lot of waste. And by using paper that comes from bamboo, you're supporting a product made out of renewable, eco-friendly resource. It's also super soft, and I couldn't tell a difference between the 100% bamboo paper and what I'm used to. Good Together listeners get 25% off your first order by using code BRIGHTLY at realpaper.com. That's R-E-E-L paper.com. 
Oh my god, Laura, I just had my favorite vegan lunch ever. It was a green Thai curry. That sounds amazing, but what's your secret? I feel like plant-based meals have always been a pipe dream for me. I've been trying to cut down on my meat consumption, but I really don't have time to think up and prepare filling, tasty vegan meals. Same here. I've been participating in a vegan cooking challenge with the Bridley community, and I feel like I've totally failed. Seriously. <laughs> I feel like I've learned so many more meatless recipes this year, but when it comes to vegan cooking, I'm still very much intimidated. So when Thistle reached out to us, it was the perfect timing. Thistle's plant-forward meals are seriously tasty and are delivered ready to go on your doorstep. Right now, they're just on the West Coast, but they're adding more locations. Anyway, I was really surprised at how filling and super creative the meals are. The spices and the sauces they include are really unique and tasty. I loved how fresh everything was as well, given that it's mostly vegetable-based. Laura, I know both you and I love to cook, especially during the pandemic, but it's been a great addition to our weekly routines. It's a quick alternative to take-out lunches between Zoom calls. Absolutely. Thistle is plant-based eating on autopilot. You don't even have to think about it, and bam, you're eating better for the planet. Good Together listeners can get $100 off with the code BRIGHTLY at thistle.co. That's T-H-I-S-T-L-E dot co. Yeah, it's it's a really healthy um, tension, right, and question about mm-hmm. um, continued growth and the the need to sell a product, as you as you said, and balancing your sustainability goals. I think for me, the the Rothy's view is very much integrated, where sustainability is built into the foundation of the company. So it's not like there's an allocated sustainability budget and, you know, we run through the budget and then we can't Mm -hmm. act on sustainability. It's integrated into how we design the product, how we purchase materials. And that foundation makes it much more scalable because you're not putting a bandaid on that you can easily take off. It's a, a very integrated approach. And I think on the flip side, there's also, We've talked about at the beginning the the interest in sustainability from a career standpoint. There's also a thread around the customer that uh, there's a much higher demand from customers for sustainable products. And the growth companies that you're seeing are ESG companies, environmental social governance companies that are thinking and considering uh, those attributes in their growth cycles. And partly that's because that's what customers are demanding. That's where they're shopping increasingly. So I think that those are all healthy drivers for this duality between financial growth and the the emphasis on sustainability. And I mentioned durability. I think that's a big part of it too. The intention for Rothy's to design products that last to sit at front of um, the front of the closet so that she's pulling those shoes out and, and really using them as long as she can. And then on the production side, we, because we own our own factory and we use a very innovative 3D knitting process, we're essentially able to produce on demand. And that means we're not carrying a lot of unwanted inventory, for example, or producing a whole season's worth of inventory that sits in a warehouse and then has to be disposed of it. So there's this um, benefit, financial benefit and sustainability benefit in not carrying a lot of extra cost um, and inventory. So I think there's always, you know, within not just Rothy's, but lots of businesses, 
there's a lot of cost effectiveness in sustainability solutions. Sustainability at its core is about resilience and resilience tends to be also financial resilience. Yes, I was actually very surprised and impressed when I first learned that um, a few years ago that Rothis has its own factory uh, because it is very uh, unusual for, you know, a relatively new brand. So this is amazing. And kind of our discussion uh, puts it into perspective in my uh, mind, kind of explains all of this decision, why you guys have made these specific decisions. Um, I, and I know I, uh, the fact that you have this vertically integrated factory, right, production. Um, this is uh, why uh, Rothis has been able to, to pivot so quickly and start producing masks, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, that was something we were proud to to turn on quite quickly. And the idea came from the factory team to produce masks and the idea that we could design a, you know, kind of prototype for what a mask could look like, program the 3D knitting machine to produce it and produce very quickly using uh, some actually excess thread that we had in the factory was Quite cool. And then um, I think now we know masks, the importance of masks, and, and we'll continue to probably wear masks into the future. And um, so it's, it's a, I think, a really good example of the nimbleness and the agility that comes from owning your own factory and, and being able to, to seize those opportunities and also to meet a need, right, that's necessary for the customer. Exactly, exactly. Oh, well, let's talk about um, some of the upcoming news. Uh, the episode will uh, be released just a week after you guys um, announced uh, Rothy's biggest sustainability commitment to date, right? Uh, Rothy's is planning to achieve circular production by 2023, which is amazing. And it's actually will be here sooner than we all think. It's already two years away. Yeah. So what brought you to this commitment and how you guys are planning to achieve it? Mm. Well, Rothy's has been building a circular model since day one, and we've talked a little bit about that foundation, everything from the construction and choice of materials, how they're produced, designing for longevity. Those are all the elements of this circle. If we think mm -hmm. about circularity as a circle, those are the touch points in a product's life cycle. And this ambition to achieve circular production by 2023 is essentially closing that loop and identifying what we aren't doing today and what is really lacking in our industry and how we can be a catalyst for, for being more closed loop. So um, it will be both, this, this ambition will be both a continuation of what we've already been doing, continuing to pioneer and, and investigate new material innovation, continuing to test the boundaries of how we can produce and, and eliminate waste in our manufacturing, continue to produce uh, washable, durable products. And then the last piece is the recycling and returning materials that we have used back into new products. And that mm -hmm. is truly the element that's closing the loop. We'll be looking at a pilot recycling program later this year that will first start with some returned inventory damages that we have to really mm -hmm. test and learn what it takes to deconstruct a shoe into its main components and refine recycling partners for each of those main components. And then over the course of the next few years, making that program, that idea more sophisticated and more scalable. So we'll start with a small number of shoes to really understand what it takes to 
um, take them apart and to find partners to help them return them into raw materials. And then over time, expand the amount that we're able to collect and hopefully the quality of the material coming um, out of those recycling initiatives. So it's, um, it's very much kind of year to year building on what we're starting out this year with the pilot recycling program. We're also putting in place for 2022 a goal to start incorporating some of these kind of twice recycled materials back into new products. So imagine our thread made from recycled water bottles, taking mm -hmm. upper recycling it again, and then using that twice recycled Rothy's thread into new, uh, new materials and new products. That's quite exciting because then you can start to see this imagery of the circle being closed. And then with circular production in 2023, it's uh, just building again on that, that foundation, making each of the, the pieces more scaled, larger quantities of products being recycled, more sophisticated. But then something that I'm quite passionate about is we definitely want to build recycling capacity, return materials back into production for Rothy's. But we also want to open source what we are learning so that we can build a solution that is for our industry. And I mentioned, you know, started my career at the EPA, have, have always worked on waste minimization. It's, it's really lacking um, the, the footwear recycling capacity in the U.S. And it, to me, points to the need for brands to collaborate, um, probably with industry, with, with governments, to establish some of these um, recycling collection programs. So this potential for collaboration for industry-wide solutions is really exciting to me. And then um, I think crucial to this 2023 goal is mm -hmm. also uh, how do we, in parallel to this pursuit of circularity, continue to ratchet down our carbon footprint with the goal to be carbon neutral in 2023? Very cool. So how are you guys thinking about carbon neutrality? It's some, um, I, I was just talking to my colleague about that. Um, how is Ross thinking about it? What kind of specific steps are you taking? Well, we know that carbon, uh, carbon footprints, both at a company and truly a global level, is one of the most important, if not the most important, both environmental and social need of our time. Um, so I think it's not to be um, undersold the importance of all companies and all organizations globally paying attention to our carbon footprints. And for me, the pursuit of circularity is an enabler for us to achieve our carbon reduction goals. And a lot of this is proven in data, not from me, but from uh, great global studies that have said that as we start to shift to a more renewable energy powered economy, whether it be transportation, how we power our factories and um, offices and facilities, that will give us a significant way to carbon reduction that's needed globally. About 55% of the carbon reduction that's needed will come from the shift to a renewable energy economy. But the remaining 45% that's needed actually has to come from circularity. The more efficient, uh, use of materials, designing products to be more durable, and then returning them to be uh, raw materials that are usable again. So the progression for Rothy's will be very much similar. We'll mm -hmm. pursue the goals that we talked about on circularity, 
to reduce our current footprint to as low as possible and then augment the remaining footprint by purchasing uh, and, and working on nature-based carbon reduction solutions. Um, so we've already started a bit of this work in, in partnership with the Amazonia project. We've offset about 21,000 tons of CO2 and uh, we'll continue to invest in nature-based solutions to make up the balance of our footprint um, in 2023. Awesome. That's great to hear. Um, so I was actually, before our interview, I was reading your interview um, in Women's Environmental Network. Uh, and something you've said, you said that the products we buy have an enormous impact on climate change. Uh, that's why you've been with Method. That's why you're with Rothes. Uh, but you also said that uh, it's really up to institutions, right, governments, organizations, and companies to mitigate uh, their carbon footprints, something what we are talking uh, about just now. So I'm curious if uh, if you can share your thoughts um, on kind of where, uh, how governments, institutions and brands, what do they need to do? How they, can they work together to really implement, you know, policies um, and things that need to get done on the kind of governmental and non-business levels? Mm. It's something I'm really passionate about, this mm -hmm. need to think at a much more institutional level versus this idea that the consumer has to go through all of these leaps and, and bounds to reduce their footprint. And it's it's kind of both, right? As individuals, yes, we need to be doing our part and we need to participate by, you know, through our purchase decisions and which in, it kind of becomes an endorsement of the companies and practices that we believe in. So I don't want to diminish the ability of the customer to participate. But when you look at especially the global problems like climate change, it's it's not realistic to add up individual consumer changes, it's not going to be quick enough or at the right scale that's needed for carbon reduction over the Absolutely. next decade. And that's why I really point to the solutions at the institutional level. Large companies um, are institutional by this definition. They have large footprints. Governments play a huge role both in regulations, but also incentives to encourage uh, adoption of renewable energy, all the kind of practices that we know we need to do carbon reduction. And I think that there is a, a really nice partnership, of course, between companies, nonprofits, and governments to execute that institutional change. Uh, so it's really, it really, to me, it's just a reminder that we have a lot of power when we work at a company because our footprints are much larger than a single consumer. And how can we be leaders as companies in, in making those strides to, to reduce carbon? Absolutely. Yeah, we've uh, talked in a previous episode of Good Together about kind of the power of large major corporations like, like Apple's and Amazon's. You know, their environmental and carbon footprint is on par with countries, right? Yes. Not uh, companies. That's right. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, it's up to them uh, to make these massive, massive changes. Of course, up to brands like Roth is to do the right thing too. And of course, consumers too, but we do need more action uh, on the government's as well. I absolutely agree with you. 
uh, on this. So yeah, we have two last questions that we'll uh, love to ask our guests on the um, on the podcast. Um, we are all about practical, simple, easy uh, sustainability tips. So I was wondering if you can share a few of your favorite kind of actionable uh, tips on how you kind of live uh, live and breathe sustainability uh, at home and in your life. Mm. Yeah, so we were just talking about the the need for institutional action, but also the importance at the individual level. And I, I really do believe it's both. Um, my own practices, um, I mean, I'm 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 pretty uh, dark green, I guess you would say. So <laughs> I try to live sustainability in every way that I can. I'm definitely not perfect. So there's parts that I, you know, this year have been reflecting on. I, I want to fly less um, coming out of COVID. Um, I don't want to, mm -hmm. it's, it's still important to meet in person sometimes, but the idea of traveling for sustainability conference and watching the same presentation as other people, I think um, I want to be more responsible in, in how much I'm personally flying. But there are things that I do day to day. I'm very intentional about what I wear and and clothing. Of course, I love Rothy's. I love the durability, the washability. Um, I think it's important to support other brands that are using preferred materials. So recycled denim, recycled, you're even seeing recycled wool, cashmere, cotton, organic cotton. So I try to um, purchase from other apparel brands that are Kind of mirroring what Rothy's does, but for um, for the clothing sector, and then uh, been a vegetarian for a long time, and I, I think there's a lot more. I'm quite encouraged by not only the adoption, increased adoption of vegetarian and vegan lifestyles, but the prevalence of alternative meats and low carbon meats uh, that are out, meat production that's out there, actually not meat, I guess they're called meat alternatives. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's quite encouraging to see these startups and um, very successful challengers to the meat industry. And I'm a big fan. I've always lived in cities. I try to ride my bicycle as much as I can, take public transportation. I'm very confident that coming out of COVID, we'll, we'll be able to take public transportation safely. I'm very hopeful that that will not be something that is compromised um, because of the pandemic. So those are some of the things that I look at. And I think for me and, and looking at what I can do, I try to go after the biggest pieces of my footprint. So if I know that food is a you know big part of my footprint, what are the things that I can do to lower that versus some of the kind of small things that um, are less impactful, um, but can just be more challenging to adopt. Mm -hmm. that, that's a great, great way to think about that for sure. And I've mentioned this on the podcast um, um, I'm not a vegetarian, but definitely one of my kind of course sustainability goals uh, for past year and this year is really reducing uh, our meat consumption drastically. You know, I have discovered all of these meatless alternatives recently. Um, you know, we're always sharing a tons of meatless uh, vegetarian vegan recipes within our community. Um, and yeah, conversations like this is what kind of inspired uh, me to make these changes as well. And so uh, you kind of briefly mentioned this already, but what excites you the most? 
most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? Well, you can probably tell that I'm an optimist. So there's lots of things, yes, <laughs> a lot can. of things that excite me, and I think that's important to to see opportunities for hope and to recognize, of course, the need for change and the problems at hand, but also where we're starting to see momentum. Um, and for me, I mentioned the the aspiration that Rothy's has through our circularity goals around not just finding solutions to close the loop for Rothy's, but creating something that will influence our industry. And for me, that's all about collaboration. It's harnessing collectively innovation in order to operate and to act at an institutional level. So I'm, I'm feeling optimistic about this opportunity for collaboration and very much forefront in our minds. So we're excited to be ramping up the conversation um, around collaboration with our new commitment. Love it. I, I love the word collaboration. I truly believe that without collaboration, we won't be able to achieve, you know, this extremely, extremely important environmental um, goals that we have as a society. Um, so, yeah, I, I love how you um, said that. And again, thank you guys so much for, uh, for you for being on the podcast and for Rothy's for all the awesome work that um, the company has been doing and really leading the ethical fashion movement. Uh, it was a great pleasure to talk to you, Saskia. Thanks so much, Lisa. I really enjoyed talking with you too. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.